So people always ask me, well, you know, how, particularly people like you, like, how did you get involved in the union? Um, and it's a very, actually, deep and profound story, so I'll, I'll tell it to you very quickly. I don't come from a union family. No one in my family was in a union. No one ever talked about unions. No one ever said uh, that would be anything to aspire to be. I am someone who resisted being a lawyer my entire life, uh, because that was kind of what everybody in my family did and what I was expected uh, to do. And I wandered around in a period of time in my history and then got involved uh, with the state government. And I was 23 years old. I, it was my first real job. I called my mom. She was really proud for the first time, like I had health benefits and retirement. And the one thing she told me to do is don't get in trouble. Don't do anything that would get you in trouble. So of course, you know what that meant. You had to do something that she really wasn't going to feel good about. So about the fifth day I was there at work, I noticed on the bulletin board there was a sign about a union meeting. Having never been in a union, I thought this would be really interesting. And I went to the meeting. But the real reason I went is because on the bottom of the poster was a little uh, notation that said, free pizza. <laughs> and when you're 23 years old, you got a lot of student loans and a lot of problems, and your first job, uh, and someone's offering you free food, it, it was a real draw, and I went to the meeting. And they talked about the contract negotiations, and I ate pizza. And then they talked about the health and safety issues in the office, and I ate some more. And then they talked about uh, some other issues that were on the job, and I kept eating them. Eventually, I looked around, and I was the only one in the room, besides the union shop steward, who I still remember today, his name was Al Actert. And he very nicely walked over to me and said, you're new here? And I said, yeah, I just started about five days ago. And he said, what's your name? And I said, Andy Stern. And Al stood up like really straight and very formally and said, nominations for the assistant shop steward of Levine District Welfare Officer now open. I nominate and elect Andy Stern. And here I am. So for all of you who've done a lot of career planning and spent a lot of time thinking about your future, uh, sometimes uh, your future knocks on you rather than you uh, find it. And so I've now had the incredible opportunity in my life uh, to watch uh, now 2.2 million ordinary people, uh, janitors, security officers, home care, child care workers, uh, do an extraordinary thing. Elect a president, in our case of SEIU, we were the largest contributor to Barack Obama's election, 100,000 of our members participated in the election. And yesterday, in fact, actually today, about two hours ago, you know, the thing that was most important to our members' lives actually happened in this country is for the first time in America, every man, woman, and child very shortly in the future will have health care, and we should applaud for that. And there'll be many stories written about health care, but for all of you who kind of think about how to make change in this country, this is not a story that started with Barack Obama's election. It's a story that dates way back before then. I remember walking across the Golden Gate Bridge uh, with 20,000 of our members and their families uh, in 2004 uh, to begin our efforts to try to bring about change in this country. I remember it well because I walked across with a woman named Lisa Scott. Lisa Scott comes from Iowa. She's a single mom. She was about 35 years old, worked every single day of her entire life. She had a wonderful daughter named Janelle. And Janelle, like kids do, got sick, had some congestion in her chest, went to the doctor, got some antibiotics, thought everything would be fine, uh, came back three weeks later, things hadn't changed. Doctor said, I want to see another chest x-ray. She went back to the uh, clinic to get the x-ray done, except she owed $250 on her bill. And 
that they would not do the x-ray. She just figured, listen, Janelle just has congestion. It can't be that bad. I'll imagine, you know, she'll get better if we just wait a little bit of time, call the doctor. He said, let's just see what happens. And what happened is she died three days later. She died in the richest country on earth simply because she was poor. And we marched across that Golden Gate Bridge in 2004. Along the way, our union, our nurses, we have a million healthcare workers in our union, held the first presidential forum in this country. Uh, we forced, at least according to New Yorker magazine, every single presidential candidate to have a comprehensive and universal, as opposed to an incremental health care plan. Uh, we put 400 people to work since President Obama got elected full time you know, on this effort to win health care. And the inspiration for all of our work are our members. And so I can't tell you what happens at the Supreme Court. I can't tell you what happens in Congress. But I have something much more interesting, which is a little video about Barack Obama that most people will never have seen him do this before. This is not about his birth certificate. It's not about uh, his terrorist. Uh, it's really about Barack Obama understanding what life is like to work in America. So maybe we could roll the video for a second. I'm Pauline Beck. I'm a SEIU home care worker in Alameda County. And today, Senator Barack Obama walked in my shoes. Let me see Ms. Beck here. Is this Ms. Beck? How are you? Good to see you. How are you? I had breakfast with Senator Obama. When he came for breakfast, he just felt like he was just one of the family. You really liking that juice, huh? Yes. Man, yes. You just, you're sucking it all up. And the eggs. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to be a football player, too. You going to be a football uh, player, Dan? Yeah. I okay. met Pauline Beck, a home care worker at her home. Uh, met her yeah, wonderful family, uh, and we drove over to John Thornton's house. Uh, he is 86 years old, a former cement mason, and uh, at his home, uh, I prepared breakfast for him. I helped to make the bed. I cleaned the house, did some laundry. I think that he's the senator doing a good job. He act like he know what he's doing anyway. He ended up like doing said, the mopping, the, the sweeping, and he did the laundry. <laughs> she working the hell out of it. He really wanted to do it and told me to forget that I'm the senator. Man. You know, this is All a walk in your shoes. Good. So he said, what else you do you do? You. I, I'm ready to work, you know, so. You're ready to work, so. I, I can work while I'm talking. It ain't no standing around. So Where's I, that boom? He wanted to learn about what my needs are, what the shortcomings was, what the pitfalls was in the program, and how he can help. I learned some specific things about the struggles that uh, home care workers are going through. Uh, uh, the priority that Pauline placed on uh, having paid sick leave, uh, I think, is reminds me of how important that is to the workforce as a whole, uh, many of whom uh, are in her position and don't have paid sick leave. You go. <laughs> you all ready? Ready. Okay. There you go. SEIU has made a difference for me. They're my spokesperson. They're my voice. Well, I think it make, uh, I think it makes all the difference uh, to have a union representing somebody like Pauline. Uh, she described what it was like before uh, SEIU reached so out to her. She was getting paid a minimum wage. Right she didn't have health care benefits. Uh, now, as a consequence of the work that SEIU has done, she's got uh, a wage that uh, pays uh, $10 and, and change an hour. She's got health care. 
but there's still more work to be done. What I do for a living is a great part of my faith. As a matter of fact, it's my faith that have me doing what I'm doing because I believe that this is my calling. I think what I was surprised uh, with was how uh, how important Pauline is to Mr. Thornton, not just because of the tasks that she does, but that she's also um, providing him a connection to the outside world, that there's somebody who he's interacting with and who cares about him. Um, you, you can't underestimate how important that is uh, to uh, somebody in, in the twilight of life. And uh, I think Pauline recognizes that, which is why she takes pleasure in her work. I want to tell you that uh, he has said a number of times to other people this was probably the, the most important day in his campaign. You know, for all the efforts he makes in large crowds, you know, the opportunity to spend a day with someone who works really hard, uh, with a person who's really a lifeline. And he invited Pauline to speak at the Democratic National Convention, which we were really proud about, and she did. Now, the first lady, after she saw the tape, called me and said, you know, how do you get him to make the bed? He's never done it <laughs> before. So uh, I guess there are lots of different uh, ways that people look at the same tape. Uh, yeah. Uh, on Sunday, you know, the president you know, had probably the greatest achievement that anybody president's had, in, in, at least in the last hundred years, you know, even in some ways more important than Medicare and Social Security in terms of the breadth and depth of what this does. And he called on Monday uh, our union and spoke with me and said thank you. And then he said something I think, you know, really said everything about him, which is he said, you know, I was really happy, you know, on election eve. You know, it was a really joyous moment in my life, but nothing was more important and more joyous than last night, because it wasn't about winning the election, it was about making change in this country, and after 14 hard months, I got to make the change I came here to do. So that's my story, I'm sticking with it, and I guess we're gonna answer questions now from all of you. My name is Eliana Godoy, and I am an NYU student, also a Reynolds Fellow. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for your work. Um, it's very inspiring. Um, today we talked a lot about wealth creation, and um, I'm still thinking it through mm -hmm. uh, because I think it's important, but without addressing issues of inequality, uh, I think there are certain tensions. So I would love to hear your thoughts about wealth creation. Um, it, without addressing uh, inequality. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I think there are, there are obviously two very important issues. One is uh, the creation of wealth and one is the distribution. And I think what we've seen, you know, is that uh, in the 21st century, you know, things work fundamentally differently than they did in the last century. You know, a, a lot of people I know, you know, longingly look back, for instance, to the New Deal and the kind of programs that were done in the New Deal, and I admire you know, so much what is done, but I'm also mindful that we're as far today from the New Deal as the New Deal was from the Civil War. And I'm sure Franklin Roosevelt admired Abraham Lincoln. He didn't build an industrial economy around 1865. We're not going to build a global economy around 1935. So I think, for me, we need to appreciate first, this is the third economic revolution in world history and where the agricultural took 3,000 years and the industrial took 300 years. This revolution will take 30 years and you will be the first generation in American history to see an entire economic revolution in front of your eyes. I say that because 
the world now works differently, both in terms of creation and distribution. So John Kennedy once said, a rising tide raises all boats. And I like to say it now just raises the luxury liners and the rest of the boats are, are pretty rocky waters. Uh, the Census Bureau reported before the economic collapse that American workers hadn't gotten a raise in five years, the longest period of economic stagnation in the history of our country. And Goldman Sachs reported before the collapse that profits were at record high and wages were at record low. And even though productivity up, wages were down. And so, you know, what we used to, what used to work in America, which was the market, you know, to try to distribute wealth, you know, has not done it well nationally, did it well nationally, it does it very differently internationally. And so inequality is absolutely a fundamental question. And, you know, when people never appreciated about the president, you know, as he said, I, I very much want to create an economy where there's GDP growth, and I very much want to create an economy where there's job growth, but I really want to create an economy where there's middle class growth, because that's the question of distribution. You know, when Bill Clinton was here, I shouldn't say this, but, you know, we used to say, he used to say all the time, I've created 20 million new jobs, and our members would say, and I have three. You know, because, you know, there is a big difference between creating jobs and creating growth and distributing wealth, and you can just talk to the people in Goldman Sachs and appreciate, you know, the distinction. So I think we need a 21st century way to think about this question because it is not a natural uh, output of the market anymore. You know, and there's two other ways, and one we just saw, which some people appropriately, like myself, worry that only has limited value, not limited value, can only do certain things, which is the government, because the government has always been a way through minimum wage, earned income tax credit, tax policy, you know, that we've used to distribute wealth in our country. Uh, and we just did it with healthcare, where the market failed to produce a healthcare system that provided for 32 million people. It failed to control uh, the, the rate of growth in healthcare. It created all kinds of distortions like pre-existing conditions and lifetime limits. You know, where the market didn't work, the government has now stepped in not because it wanted to, but because it failed, the market failed in this particular situation and government has tried to, 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 sh to round off the rough edges of what didn't work in the market, but in this case not really change the basic nature of how healthcare was provided. And the third way we've distributed wealth in our country, and it's probably why I'm standing here today, has been unions. You know, unions have been the best long-term anti-poverty program that hasn't cost the government a dime um, because, you know, the problem with the government is it's a fickle friend. You know, from George Bush to Barack Obama, we appreciate you get very different results from elections. And so, you know, to count on the government as a permanent way to solve things is not as good a way as the market or in what we try to do is unions. And unions are just a way forgetting the ideology, forget anything else, it's just a way to distribute wealth. That if a company makes a certain amount of money, the question is, how is it distributed between shareholders, executives, and the people that work there? And we are a way and a function that does that. And Ben Bernanke says, you know, the decline of unions in this country is, is a cause of 30% of the inequality that exists today because there isn't a, a market force, a labor market force that distributes wealth. So I absolutely think we cannot just focus on job creation, we have to focus on distribution or we will not have the middle class that we once had in America.